0: Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. That's going to be our sermon passage for the day. In Romans 13, starting in verse 1 and through reading through verse 14. Let's read from God's Word together. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it Will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason, for it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, You must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servant continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's pray together. God, we do lift our praise uh, to you this morning as your people, acknowledging your amazing grace to us, the riches of the kindness of Jesus that you have poured out in his body on the tree, and in his resurrection from the dead. Lord, your faithfulness, your grace is unending. Let us not take it for granted. Let us dwell on it even in further depth today. Lord, we are thankful for the transforming power of the good news of the gospel, of the kindness and the grace of Jesus, and how it changes our thinking, our lives. Lord, you have the power to change our hearts, to change how we live, to change how we see the world. Lord, help us to see the world differently today as you see it. Lord, so many today, there are so many dangers around us to our souls, so many temptations in this world, so many desires that beckon our hearts apart from you. Lord, may your good news through Jesus change our desires and enable us to overcome every temptation that might pull us from you and the life that you give. Lord, we pray for other churches here in Scott County that they would realize and live out the transforming power of the gospel. We pray this morning for Mallard Point Baptist Church here in Scott County and Pastor Chris Stotson there, Lord, that that congregation would be gripped by the transforming power of the gospel and they would live differently as a result. We pray for the churches of the Pillar Network that we're a part of across the U.S. and across the world, that today they would be refreshed by the power of the gospel as they gather to worship you. We pray for the country of India with many people that are Hindus or Buddhists Muslim, some Christians. Lord, that we pray that that nation would come to see and understand the power of the good news of Jesus in a new and fresh way, and that you would send laborers to take that good news to the country of India. Lord, be with us now as we consider your word. These are your words, God, to us, and help us to submit ourselves to what you say. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you all may be seated, and at this time, the kids can make your way downstairs to your classes if you would like. Today is Promotion Sunday, so everybody's moving up uh, great, and so we have some kids in new classes, so make sure you find the right classes today you can follow the adults downstairs. And if you have your Bibles, just leave them open with me to Romans 13. So last year, we started working our way through the book of Romans, and we saw really the first 11 chapters of Romans lay out amazing truths of God's salvation for us in Jesus. And so let me just say, if you're not sure about who Jesus is, or you're not sure about what Jesus did. The first eleven chapters of Romans are a place that you can look and get a firm, a clear picture of what God has done for us in Jesus, the amazing salvation that God offers us through what Christ has done. And so I would just encourage you to go back and read that if you're not sure about who Jesus is. But for for us, we're going to pick up now, uh, we've been picking up the last few weeks, And we've really, this last part part of the book of Romans, chapter 11 to the end, is about how we should live differently if we really believe that Jesus is who He says He is and that He's done what He's done, that He has laid down His life for our salvation, that He has offered us forgiveness when we have sinned and failed God and others in so many ways. Uh, These truths should change how we live if we really believe they're true. Um, and so we that's what really what we're talking about last week. Uh Joshua Copley preached on Romans twelve and how the, the these mercies of Christ to us change how we live with other Christians. Well, this week we kind of see that not only does it change how we live with other Christians, it changes how we live in the world around us. It changes how we interact with people every day. It changes how we see the authorities that are in our world, the governments and the people that are over us in different ways. And so that's what we see Romans 13 is really all about, that following Jesus leads us to have a new sense of responsibility in how we live towards others in the world. When we, before we came to know Jesus, we lived for ourselves we lived with our interests primarily in mind. When we come to know Jesus, we now live with others in mind in a new way that we didn't before. And that's really what we see Paul highlighting here. In today's passage, we see that Christians with new life in Jesus take on a sense of responsibility specifically to live differently in relationship with to governing authorities in our life. And we live differently with our responsibility to love other people and consider them in what we do. And so that's where we want to jump in, starting right there at the beginning of Romans 13. As Christians, as people who've been captured by Jesus, we are called to live with a sense of responsibility to submit to authority. The first thing Paul points out right here is that we live and see authority and government differently than before if we are following Jesus. This is easy, right? We all love the government. We love it. I've already heard things today talk about how much we love the government. We love it, especially when tax time comes and we get to pay our taxes and give them our money, right? Right? So why does Paul raise this issue? Well, I think it's for that reason. He knows, as Christians, this is not necessarily easy, but it is a marker of what should characterize our life as followers of Jesus. And so we need to think carefully about this, right? And in that day, it was a real issue for the Christians because they lived in a world, in a society, in Rome, that was not Christian. In fact, it was very opposed to Christianity they saw Christians as a threat to their government and so they did whatever they could to try to push Christians aside or even punish them they considered them rebels well people uh, back then and even today really we have uh, people have two extremes of how they think about government that we can fall into and I hope we're, you're somewhere in the middle but let's be honest we, we fall into these extremes sometimes the first extreme is is that there's this kind of just ongoing distrust of government, right? That it, we just don't believe the government is going to do the right thing, and we're always questioning what they're saying and doing, and it really leads us to have a spirit of negativity and rebellion towards the government. We don't want to do what they're saying because we don't agree with them. We don't think they're going to do what's best for us. And so th- this just characterizes our life. How many times do we hear people complain over and over about the government? Right? The second ditch that we fall into, the second extreme, is that we consider people consider government the savior. Oh, if there's a problem in the world. We need new leaders, and they'll fix it. They'll fix all our problems. If we just get the right people elected, it'll be a better world. The problem with both of these reactions is that they both communicate a preoccupation with human leaders. Human authority that communicates our kingdom is of this world. The first view communicates that our current kingdom is so bad that it has to be fixed or everything's going to fall apart. Life is hopeless with our government. The second view says that this kingdom is of this world and the government can give us all we really need for life and happiness if we just get the right people. Christians know our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is in heaven. And God's word tells us to see human authority with realistic eyes. They're not our savior, but they're there for a reason. And this means when we express our willingness to follow human authority, we express our commitment and trust in God who put them there. We show that we love Him and we trust Him over any human leader. We trust the law of where we live. That's really the main point of what we see here at the beginning of Romans 13. It's clear, submit to governing authorities in a way that shows our faith is in God alone and it's not in people. And we see this repeated twice. Paul is like, you got to do this, right? He's saying it twice so that we get the point. Verse 1, let everyone submit to governing authorities. And again in verse 5, therefore you must submit. Remember, he's writing this to Christians in Rome under A horrible emperor. A horrible emperor. Therefore, Christians in Rome, you must submit to the governing authorities. Why should Christians submit to even horrible authorities in the way that Paul is saying they're to do that here? Well, we see two reasons in verse 1 through 4 that Paul highlights. First, all authority is placed there by God. All authority is placed there by God. Do you think God doesn't have a say in who the authority is in this world? you think God is that small? No. God has a say in everything at all times. God is sovereign. Right? And so that's what we see in verse 1. Let everyone submit to governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. There's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. In verse 2, we see that to resist authority is actually to oppose God himself. And it invites judgment. This is serious. Paul raises the bar here. You oppose authority that's over you, you're inviting judgment. And who does judgment come to? Those who lack faith. See, when we oppose authority... We lack faith in the God who is over those authorities. Secondly, we see another reason why Christians should submit to authority. Authority is meant to carry out justice for the good of society and on behalf of God. Now we know no no government does this perfectly. But we do see principles here. Verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. In general, government is there to bring justice to those who do bad, and not to good. Verse 4, it is, for it is God's servant. He's talking about servant for your good, and to bring wrath on one who does wrong. So authority, we see right here, has a good purpose in our life, and the rejection of authority, including government, has consequences. If we had no government at all, think about how, how crazy this world would be. if There was no authority, no, ju- no one to execute justice when there was crimes committed, right? And then we see examples of practical ways that Paul says, hey, these are just ways that you can show that you're willing to submit to authority. Verse 6, pay taxes. Yay! Pay taxes. But in seriousness, that's a way we can show submission to government. We may not agree with every way the government spends our taxes, but ultimately we show a respect, right? Or other obligations, tolls. Speaking of that, we went to New York on the mission trip. It's like $17 to cross a bridge to get into New York. It's crazy. All right. Respect those who deserve respect, honor those to who it is owed. All right. Now, let me just clarify. This does not mean that we have to just blindly look the other way in every instance if the government asks us to do certain things, right? So submitting to the government or any authority doesn't mean that you always agree with the person who's in authority. Secondly, it doesn't mean that you can't work to change the government, especially here in America. We have a democratic government, we have the freedom to elect new people, to advocate for certain issues, those types of things, but so we can still work for positive change that we feel like will help society flourish. Secondly, a third, submission doesn't mean that you have to sin if the government asks you to, right? There are laws in place, in certain places in America that I would not follow, I could not follow as a follower of Jesus Christ, and God gives us the freedom to obey God rather than men, if we have to choose between the two. Fourth, submission doesn't mean that there can never be a justifiable war against the government. Case in point, Adolf Hitler, right? So, all things considered, in spite of these caveats, Christians should have an inclination to know that fundamentally The authorities we have in place over our lives, the governments we have in place over our lives, have been established by God. And they're there, in general terms, for our good. And we should seek to submit submit to them, if at all possible. All people in authority have been placed there by God to carry out His plan. Let me say that again. All people in authority have been put there by God to carry out His plan. And to bring God's blessing to His people. We have that promise, we've already seen that in Romans. God works all things for the good, for those who love Him. So that means God has put authorities in place to bring out His blessing for His people and to work in such a way that He might call unbelievers to Himself. And sometimes He does that through wise, benevolent, good rulers sometimes He does it through rulers who bring hardship to our life. But in all those things, God is working for the good of those who have trusted in Christ, and God is working for the good who haven't trusted in Christ to draw Him to Himself. So that means that no king, no president, no leader is there by accident. Do you believe that? Can you say that about every ruler, that God doesn't want that person in that place that they're in right now. I don't think we can say that according to God's Word. God has placed them there to accomplish His purposes, which we may not understand, but it's His design and His purposes for His people and the world around us. And we see that in verse 4. Look at what Paul calls the ruling authority in verse 4. For it is... God's servant. The ruling authority is God's servant. Which means that Nero, the emperor of Rome who crucified Christians upside down was God's servant. Do you believe that God can use somebody as evil as that to accomplish his plans and purposes? I believe he can. Which changes how we think about our presidents, and senators, and representatives, and Supreme Court justices. My first sermon, one of my first sermons I ever preached, and it probably wasn't the best, so I hope you don't ever listen to it, (laughs) but it was from Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 3, and it says this, the Lord says this to Cyrus, all right, so God is talking to Cyrus. Cyrus was the king of Persia. He was no follower of God, all right, He, he was not a follower of God. The Lord says this to Cyrus his anointed. Cyrus, this wicked man who's God's anointed, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and disarm kings. And in verse 3, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord. God put a wicked man over a kingdom, anointed him to do his purposes so that he could know that he was God. Might He do that today with leaders in our, in our country, in our world, in ways that we could never think or imagine? King Cyrus of Persia experienced and knew and heard that he was in authority, but God was really in authority. God is greater than any king, so we have to believe that He has reasons for the rulers that we have in place. So, what is this? so in light of all this, what does it say about you if all you ever do is complain about the government or others in authority over you? If you're a student, you complain about your teachers. Or if you're working, you complain about your boss. And that's just what you're known for. You like to complain about those who are in authority. What does that say about you and about what you believe about God. That He would put those people in your life to make you miserable? Or that He might have a purpose for putting them in your life that you may not even understand? Christian, your hope is not in the government or anyone who is in authority over you. Don't live live as if it is. When you complain... And grumble. You live as if your hope is in that person or that office. Our hope is in Christ alone. And we trust God to do His work in His ways. He knows the beginning and the end, and we don't. So be transformed by this reality of who your God is. Live peaceably, not complaining, not grumbling, submitting to the government freely as if you're submitting to God Himself whenever possible, when it doesn't contradict God, when you and you're desiring to honor Him, even if you don't like the taxes, even if it's not your favorite candidate who gets elected, even if you don't like the homework your teachers are giving you, submit willingly, not complaining. God has a purpose in what He's doing. The disciples realized in the, the time they lived, you know, when Jesus came, most people in Israel thought, hey, we're going to have a king who's going to get rid of all the evil rulers over us. And he's going to establish God's rule, and things are going to be a lot better. Jesus was a different kind of king than what they expected. When Jesus came and they decided to follow Jesus, they found out it wasn't their mission to overthrow the Roman government in Israel. Instead, Jesus had a higher calling for them it's to take the good news of who he is so that people's hearts may be changed, not the government. And that's exactly what God calls us to do today in America. Not to live to see our government changed. It's all right. Again, we can work towards positive change that we feel like needs to happen. We're called to live in such a way that commends God in Christ to people. That he might change their lives and bring them to salvation. Again, we live for their eternal kingdom and not for right here and right now. So don't get so wrapped up in the politics of today that you forget the higher calling that you need to fix your minds on. We live for Christ and to make Him known. That's what we are to be about if we truly know Jesus. And the theme of submission here, it's interesting, submitting to authorities. That's it's a hard thing for us to, to grasp with. But that theme of submission is throughout scripture in a lot of different scenarios, isn't it? We're called, first of all, to submit ourselves to God. God, I want to do life your way, not my way. That's the calling that God puts on every single one of us. And we have to decide, am I going to do life my way or am I going to do life God's way and follow what Jesus says? Because I believe that he did die for my sins. I believe he did rise from the dead to give me new life. And I believe his way is better than any way I could come up. And so I'm going to give my life to him. That's what it means to be a Christian. So we're called to submit to God. Children are called to submit to their parents. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Husbands are called to submit to Christ. Church members are called to submit to church leaders. Over and over we see this pattern of submitting. Why would the Bible Reiterate this over and over again. It's because of this. Everybody submits to somebody. Even Jesus submitted to the Father. He submitted His will to the Father's will. Why does Scripture do this? Because our posture in being willing to submit to others show that we are willing to trust God and who He puts in our life. And we're going to trust that the people He puts in our life in those positions are for our good. And so we're going to submit to others as an act of submitting to God. We believe, we know that Christ came to serve. And those who, who know Christ and follow Him willingly take on this mentality of wanting to serve others that God has put in our life. Is that you? Is your natural posture to want to submit and serve others? Or is it to elevate yourself in your thinking of how you think about others and what they're doing and how you're complaining about them? Do you see authority that God has put in your life, bosses, parents, teachers, government officials, as generally a good thing or a bad thing? Here we see God calls us as Christians to live with a different kind of responsibility to authority in our life because we're new and he's in control and we believe it secondly we see with we live with a new sense of responsibility to love everyone the gospel the good news of jesus that has gripped our lives and calls us to worship him calls us to live differently by loving other people verse 8 Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. So what does it mean to love people? Well, we live in a culture that doesn't understand love. A feeling that just comes and goes. I don't really love you anymore like I used to. It's a feeling. It's past. It's not here anymore. Or we see love as a way that we just show kindness or support to people in whatever they're doing. We love these people, so we're going to support them in whatever they're doing. It doesn't matter what. God says something else about love. Love is not an emotion that changes. love is not support. Love is a commitment that is rooted in truth. True love is defined by God and His character and lived out in the way that he says it is lived out. Not in what we feel. This is why this passage points out a clear connection between love and fulfilling God's law. And it doesn't seem normal to us. We wouldn't normally say, oh I love you so I'm going to fulfill God's law. That, that just sounds weird, doesn't it? But here we see, no. God's law is truth. And loving others, the best way we can love others is to submit ourselves to God's truth and live that way. And this means if you wanna understand what love is, if you wanna show love to the people around you, the best way to do that is to know God's love and how he says it should, what he says it should look like. So do you know God and his love? Have you come to see how God has loved you in Jesus? Think about how God's loved you and what he says he's done. He created you when He didn't have to. He gave you life. When you walked away from Him and did things your way, He sent His Son to come and live and to die for you. That's love. He rose again and offered His presence to be with you forever so that He would never leave you and always be in your life. His Holy Spirit, that's love. He's promised you an eternal hope in spite of your ongoing sins and failures. That he would never leave you or forsake you in spite of whatever you've done if you're holding to him and trusting in Jesus. That's love. Do you know God's love like that? If you don't know God's love, if you're just wrestling with this, come see me, come see someone else you came with. We want to show you the great love of God for you in Jesus. But also know you can't really love people rightly until you know God's love for you because His love is the standard. His love defines what love is. If you are a Christian, you have come to know true love and you know, you know, people need that love. They need to know what real love is. Compassionate, merciful, gracious to undeserving people, just, God's love is just. It's not some fluffy, ignoring reality kind of love. God's love is just and fair and truthful. How often do we say we love people, but we aren't willing to tell them the truth about what they're doing when we're concerned? That's not love. God's love is rooted in truth, and He's just and fair. And What we see here is if we know God's love like this, One of the best ways we can love others is to selflessly show it to them. To show who God is through our lives. So how do we live this way? Verses 8 through 10, we see that we live it out selflessly, right? God's love is selfless. Jesus laid down his life for us. We love others by laying down our lives for them. Those who are in Christ and have a spirit live in this transformed way. Look at verse 8. Do not owe anyone to anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then we see what this fulfilling of the law, this selflessness, looks like. And in verses 9 through 10, he lists commandments like don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. And he says these commandments all summarize what it looks like to love others. But guess what? All those commandments display a selflessness, don't they? I'm not going to go looking after another woman because I want to be selfless in my love towards others. I'm not going to try to steal from others because I want them to to, to have blessing. I don't want to take from them. I'm not going to covet what other people have because I want to be selfless towards them. I want to give to them. Right, this is a selfless kind of love. But to do these things, to have a selflessness means you're not living for yourself. You're living for Jesus. And he produces this selflessness towards others, not your own desires. In a world full of selfishness, it stands out when someone is selfless like this. Because of Jesus. To come alongside someone who is in need and to give up your your time, your money, your energy for them. That stands out. To serve your spouse or your family instead of expecting to be served. Because you want your life with your family to reflect Christ and His love for His church. That's different. To minister to people who can give you nothing in return. Simply because you care for their their temporal good and their eternal good. That's a different way of living, isn't it? It's selflessness. Christians live with a sense of responsibility. I have been given selfless love. I'm going to show it to others. So they might know God's selfless love themselves. Secondly, we see we live out love with holiness. If the truest expression of love is God, and it is, the Bible says God is love, if that is the truest expression of love, then the best way we can express love is by reflecting God. And that means we're called to be holy. People set apart for Jesus. And that's what we see at the end of Romans 13. To live in this world, to love people rightly, we have to consider, are we living in a way that is pleasing to God? You know, love apart from holiness Isn't love. It's a lie that we're believing. If we're loving people in a way that isn't holy, we're not really loving them. We may be believing a lie that we are. So, in your relationships with others that you say you love, is it marked by holiness and righteousness before God? That's real love. Anything apart from that is an imposter. Measure your love with other people. You want to love that person around you? Show them Jesus with your life and how you live. Verse 11 reminds us we have a limited time to do this, to demonstrate His love to other people. So how do we show holy love? Verse 12, discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The Bible talks about putting off our wrong, sinful lives and actions and thoughts and putting on godly right. Actions and thoughts. This is how we show love. Putting off darkness, putting on God's light. And God's transforming power produces this in us. The ability to say no to temptation. To, to put up boundaries in our life. When we, think, when we know things aren't right with God. And instead, to put on Jesus. God, through His, His gospel, His good news, gives us the desire to want to do that. Are you have, having a hard time putting off the dark things in your life? Ask yourself if you really know Jesus in a way that you want to follow Him more than those things. Commit yourself to godliness for the sake of loving others. And Paul lists three areas there in verse 13 that we can do that. He talks about our social life, our activities, our purity, and our relationships with people. It's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? Are we living holy in our activities and the things that we do in our spare time? Are we living holy lives when it comes to our purity? Are we living holy lives when it comes to our relationships with our co-workers, our neighbors, our family? Verse 13, let us walk with decency as in the daytime, as if everybody can see it. Walk with decency, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. In the midst of a culture that pursues sinful desires, we as believers are called to be different. Why? Because Jesus has made us different. I said, you and I have no credibility to talk about God's love with other people if we aren't walking in holiness ourselves because of God's love. Does your life give credibility to what God's love does to people? You know, Paul summarizes the passage in this way, in what he says. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The entire passage of Romans 13 is calling us as followers of Jesus to embrace the mindset and to live the life of Jesus in the world. We can't do this in our own strength. But we can do this as we start to think like Jesus thinks. We feel what Jesus feels and we act how Jesus acts and how does that do how does that happen? He lives in us and we walk with him in all places, at all times with all people. And according to Paul the only way this is going to happen is you have to put on Jesus every day. Put him on. Take that action yourself to put on Jesus. Orient your life away from the things that tempt you or pull you away from Jesus that cause you to want to desire sinful things for your flesh, orient your life toward Jesus. But know this, when you know Jesus truly, you cannot live like the world anymore. And by God's grace, He will use you to show Himself to the people in the world around you. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank You that we don't have to be captive to the ways of this world. That we don't have to think about authorities the way that the people who don't know you think about authorities. With skepticism and disappointment. Lord, we live with hope in all things because of Jesus. We think you that we don't have to think about other people in the way though the world thinks about other people as obstacles to our own goals and desires, but as people who are to be loved because of you. Lord, remind us of these realities and how we live each day. Help us to live with hope because of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.